The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You want the good news, you want the bad news. I don't like either one of those options. Your words are super wise, man. You are a prophet. You deserve a prophet. You do whatever you want. Who am I to tell you what to do? But you're a psychologist. Well, I know less than you do. You're making me a better parent and a better wife, and thank God you're on the radio. What planet are you on? I don't buy any of that stuff. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. What are you talking about? You make my afternoon really fun. Enjoy ya. You're about the most exciting thing I have right now. <laughs> now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Thank you for joining me here on The Doctor Is In, a variant, typically the variant on Mondays, E-Person Monday. As I look at the stack that is growing of E-Persons, Oh, I'm not trying to be cute. I'm just simply trying to be linguistically sensitive. Get in trouble for saying email. You don't know. I mean, you don't know what language you're allowed to use anywhere, anytime. You have to be ever so careful. It just changes by the moment. How can you keep up with it and you get in trouble? You get canceled. Of course, at my age, getting canceled, that's not a whole lot of time before the final cancellation for me. Nevertheless, E-Person Monday, where I'm going to take a look at, as I've been searching through these printed-out emails, I really like them printed out. I know I used to go through the phone and try to find them on the phone, but uh, I'm sitting in front of my latest manuscript, which is handwritten. My poor typist. I try to write as neat as I can, but I'm a guy we simply do not have the fine motor coordination of the average woman. It's really true. Can't, oh, I can't say manuscript, you're right. See, man is all over the place in our language. I can't even say manuscript. i got to say what? People script? Script? And yeah, eventually script is going to be bad because it's going to sound like something that's related to something and somebody's going to be offended by it. Oh, man, how, how do we ever get to a point where offense is completely defined by the other person? If I feel what you said is offensive, if I don't like what you said... I can accuse you of being offensive. How did that flip on its head? I'm a shrink, man. If you want to create a way to make somebody miserable, just make them hypersensitive to anything anybody says at any time, anywhere, anyhow. That's not my opening monologue, but it should be. It should be. Maybe I'll talk about it in the future. My opening monologue is this. I talk to a lot of parents who are quite uncomfortable with the amount of stuff that absolutely pours into their home for their children, especially their young children. At Christmas, comes from every direction, all kinds of relatives. The parents themselves may be guilty of it. Just more and more and more and more and more stuff. And it looks like the kids are in a ripping frenzy. They are shark. There's chum in the water, and as sharks, they are just ripping one gift open. They don't even want to linger on it. They just want to get to the next one because what's the next one? Where's the pile? There's the pile. Pile looks like Mount Everest. Therefore, parents are uncomfortable with it. 
they're not really quite sure how to handle it. I have a number of suggestions. First of all, before Christmas, go through their Toys R Us warehouse and get rid of a lot of stuff. Get rid of the ones, the easy ones, the broken things, the missing pieces things, the stuff that hasn't been touched for four years. Get rid of it. Give it away or throw it out. Don't ask the child, uh, do you want to keep this? Because they do. They're going to want to keep about 80% of whatever you point out. So you decide, your veto. Once. So you're, you've already cut down the stash, the inventory, the warehouse. Now, perhaps you might decide to lower your own gift deluge one way to do it. You may not be able to stop grandmas, so you may not be able to stop Aunt Mary's, you may not be able to stop the school. It's going to come from every direction. You know this. So, you can essentially say that some of these gifts we are going to give to volunteers, children's hospital, uh, local children's programs. You can find them. They're there. I remember when my son used to go through a lot of surgeries, we would go to the hospital and nurses would tell us there were little children there who their parents never came. The only contact they had was the nurses. The children were brought. They were there for various interventions, sometimes there for days. Parents didn't show up. Or if they did, it was sporadic. So the nurses held the little ones. Okay, so maybe some... Uh, Maybe some gifts for a hospital. You could ask the relatives to cut back. That that usually meets with a heavy amount of resistance. You know, they they kind of think that well, this is my way of showing love, and furthermore, we have other grandchildren or other nieces and nephews, and and I don't want it to look like yours are getting shortchanged. You could ask. There's probably a percentage of them that will be grateful. Say, good, thank you. I'm just getting so tired of buying all this stuff. And I've seen ugly expressions of this. I've seen children hand a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or somebody a catalog with things circled in it on what they want. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Or the reaction to the gift on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. I already have one of those. I don't really like that one. I know for my wife, all the kids had to do is to say anything remotely smelling like that. And not only that gift was gone, but others were gone. That kind of expressed lack of gratitude simply was not permitted. You can think it, we can't stop you from thinking it, but you don't say it. So that's one thing you can do. We typically gave a lot of the gifts away at Christmas time. There's just too many of them. And did the kids accept it? Yeah, they did. They, they truly did. As a matter of fact, some of them, depending on their temperament, depending upon their maturity level, were grateful to do it. They took pleasure in giving it because they knew it was gone to kids who don't get anything. They knew that. Or some of them didn't like it initially but became used to it. 
is part of mom and dad's ridiculousness. So how now, after my children are grown, has all that affected them? Are they exceptionally generous or are they less materialistic? Uh, I think it just depends on their own personalities. Some are and some aren't. But at least that was our standard. That was something that we said, this is what we're going to do because we think it's too much. It's just too much. I remember one Christmas I counted. Now, when you have 10 kids, of course, you can get some pretty high numbers. I counted the number of individual things. Now, some of them were small. Some of them were tiny little trinkets. I got that. But the number of individual things that came in over the Christmas holidays, it was over 200. Dr. Ray, how could that be? Well, when you got all kinds of aunts and uncles and relatives and grandparents on both sides, real easy to do. Real easy. So my wife and I are of one mind with that. Some of the relatives didn't take it too well. There were those who really resisted it. They didn't like this idea. They felt that we were keeping them from expressing love. They expressed love in a lot of ways. They, they resisted. Some of them just went right through us. Uh, we had a relative that just flat out brought over a massive box of stuff, whether we liked it or not, and she was going to bring it. And we nodded and accepted it gracefully and thanked her so very, very much and all of that. And, and then later on, we took care of it. We didn't, didn't cause any kind of friction over it. We didn't say, we told you. No, no, we're not going to do that. Um, and plus it had candy in it, so I went for the candy. Um, there were some relatives that said, I can't do that because I would feel like your kids are not getting their fair share of what I give to the other kids. Now, of course, many people say, well, do, do things like get them a good magazine subscription, uh, a, a Bible study, or a crucifix for their room, or uh, a money market certificate, or a treasury bond. Yeah, all that, all that stuff's good. Sure, sure. And it can all con come under the rubric of non-trinket, non-stuff. That's true. You can be creative with all that kind of stuff. But if you're uneasy about this, you're the parent. And you have every right as the parent to decide what comes into your home and what goes out of your home. Your mom, your dad. These are your decisions. Don't take a poll. You could lose. I'm Dr. Ray, E-Person Monday, when I return. Brought to you by the nonprofit Seton Home Study. Hi, everybody. Dr. Ray Garendi here. You thinking about homeschooling? Seton Homeschooling, 40 years of experience, 17,000 current students, pre K through high school. They provide the books, the lesson plans, the counselors, the grading services, the tests. That's right, pretty much everything. My wife and I use Seton, some of our children. I'll tell you this, two of them got perfect ACT scores in verbal. And overall, the Seton students scored more than 100 points above average on the SAT. Over 30% higher on English and reading on the ACT. It's a rigorous program. You want to give the very best to your kids? 
Trust me on this one. Go with Seton. It is a beautifully rigorous academic program. Go to seatonhome.org. That is seatonhome.org. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak. And I'm Lisa Popchak from More to Life. Would you like to have a better family life by Christmas? Join us Monday, December 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, for our free webinar, A More Peaceful Family by Christmas, A Catholic Parent's Guide to Advent. In Advent, we're called to make more room in our hearts and homes for Christ. Discover how the grace of Advent can help you celebrate the loving, faithful family life God wants for you. And it's free. Just register at catholichom.com slash webinar. That's catholichom.com slash webinar. See you there. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Thank you for joining me here. It's Dr. Ray, E-Person Monday. This is, this particular E-Person is um, rather sad, rather tragic. However, the more sad thing about it is it's not all that unusual. And I have commented often that one of the dynamics between parents and grown-up kids or, or, or teenage kids is hostility from the kids. Not because the parents are bad parents, but because the kids have an adversarial relationship because there's so much the kids want to have and do, and the parents put limits on it. This is from a dad. I have a teenage daughter, senior in high school, has not liked me for quite some time. My question there is, how much are you getting disrespect? All right, I, I, I don't care how old you are. If you live in my home, you're not going to be disrespectful. That's not going to happen. She hates my rules. Limited phone time, two hours a day, and daily chores that take approximately five minutes. Currently, she isn't a fan of being raised Catholic. Doesn't want to go to church, although we make her. She stopped any kind of prayers. She blames me for not believing in God, because if there was a God, he wouldn't have given her to me to raise her. Whoa! Now, in these first few lines, just some things here. Now, again, this is a 17-year-old kid. I don't know how close she is to 18. This is one of these situations, I think, where, and I've seen it a lot, the child is going to have to learn from life. Uh, the, the, the child rearing days are getting close to over. And the hostility of the child toward the parent. Now, one might say, well, Dr. Ray, you have no idea how ugly these parents are. You don't know if they yell or scream. Or that. No, I don't. However, this is a parent who is writing 
to a guy that's on Catholic media, which means he probably listens. So therefore, I'm going to make a leap here and assume he's probably trying to be a good dad in all of his humanness or whatever weakness. She has always been one to expect to get what she wants, and if she doesn't get it, she is beside herself. What? You can't afford it? You don't care about me? All my other friends, yada, yada, yada. Dad says, this has never bothered me. My question is, the questions are starting to add up. I'm wondering about mom. Where's mom in all this? Is mom beside dad and agree with dad? I also would have a question about if she's not going to do anything at church, is she going to stand there like a pillar of salt? And at that point, Dad has to decide what he wants to do about it. I mean, that's very disrespectful to our Lord. It's very disrespectful at Mass. So unless she forces herself to participate, I, he said something significant. She's got a phone two hours a day. I got to believe that phone is not helping her attitude feeling ripped off by these parents. She's, she spends time in the social media world, in the app world. What a dramatic dichotomy between the way her parents do it and the way the world wants it done. Are you kidding me? I'm telling you, that phone is just pumping toxins into her system and... Apparently, according to Dad, she's particularly vulnerable to those toxins because of her personality. Since middle school, when she unfortunately lost her best friends to girls just being mean, that was devastating. Okay, my, okay, just again, I can't explore this. If we were in therapy, I would. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? If this kid is this difficult to live with, and it sounds like Dad is describing very much self-centeredness, then... Perhaps she has a way of alienating her peers, too. It says here the entire grade turned against her. See, that's warning bells for me. You can say, well, the whole, the whole grade was awful. But maybe not. Maybe it was her in the way she interacts. She transferred schools because of it. She just hadn't had any joy since then. She has a tough time fitting in, I believe, as she's being raised Catholic with a different set of values and principles. Currently, she has some decent friends, no friends with any kind of faith. She just wants to be left alone. And because I don't allow it, she loathes me. Basically, she doesn't want to do any, she wants nothing to do with her mom or me or her three other siblings. She says she thinks about me all the time because I never leave her alone. Things like asking for her help and doing things that are helpful and the consequences I put on her. Take her phone away, take her car away. See, in situations like this where you have somebody that's totally uncooperative all the way across the board, my thought on this is you don't take stuff away. You don't give it. You have to earn it through mature, respectful, cooperative conduct. It's not a matter of I'm going to give you these perks because you're 17 years old and, oh, by the way, when you become totally obnoxious, I take a perk away. No, no, I think it's the other way around. You have to earn those things by conduct that is pleasant, cooperative, respectful in this home. 
But see, that'd be me. There'd, there'd be no way this is going to happen. Now, what will happen now at this point, if mom or dad do anything like this, she's going to really go ballistic. It's flat-out ballistic. But she already has an attitude that probably isn't going to change. So now the question is this. How soon to be 18? Well, at this point, she's a senior in high school. So my guess would be she's going to turn 18 during the senior year. And at the end of the senior year, what's going to go on? Is there college? Is dad going to pay for that? You've already seen that she says, I'm an atheist. I want no part of religion. I want no part of you. Well, at that point, the parents have a decision. Am I going to pay for your college? Or are they going to say, if you're not co cooperative and respectful, you can't live here. Very few parents do that, by the way. They don't stand their ground and say, this is it. I had to raise you legally when you were under 18, but if you're totally uncooperative about this, I'm under no obligation. So my question is, Dr. Ray, at age 17, she doesn't try to make the relationship better. If she's an unwilling participant, I need help in steering her back in the right direction. Well, I, Dad, I, I, I'm not sure. I think life's going to steer her back in the right direction. It sounds from what you're describing is that she is so hostile, so uncooperative, so much views you as the enemy, that I'm not sure you can meet her in such a way. The only way you can probably do it is to completely let her live exactly as she wishes in your home, total access to the phone, not having to go to church, no chores, no cooperation, hiding in her bedroom for hours at a time, talking on her friends and social media. That, that's about the only way, I think, at this point, from what you're describing, that you'll get a pleasant reaction from her. So I think the big question facing you in the very near future is what do you do when she graduates and turns 18? I always wondered if my children were not cooperative when they reached the age of legal majority. Doesn't mean they reached the age of legal maturity, but just majority. If I could say you can't live here unless you cooperate, unless you're pleasant. I didn't know if I could. I found out I could. And the reason I could is because I knew I wasn't helping them. To allow them to act like this and treat people like this and simply say, well, we'll endure you, that's not helping them. That's just letting these kind of habits dig in deeper until, as many parents find out, the child's 23 and they can't take it anymore. And the relationship has so deteriorated that they really don't care where the child goes now. And you don't want to get to that point. You don't want to get to that point. So, unfortunately, unfortunately, this is uh, an all-too-common picture in today's American family. And it, in some respects, is more common among those parents trying to adhere to high standards to expectations for mature behavior beyond what the culture defines as mature behavior. I've been watching a very funny sitcom. But the parents 
tolerate absolutely obnoxious behavior all in the name of that's a teenager and they'll grow out of it and they'll become human again. We just have to accept who they are. That may be the idea of the script writers who <laughs> probably don't have any kids. But that's not a healthy idea for the parents or the kid. Unfortunately, when it gets to the point where a child is nearing 18 and this kind of hostile attitude is solidified, I mean, it is locked in. As I said, now they'll have to navigate life and, and hopefully they will learn from it. with Teresa Tomio. The AP is now saying that news people cannot refer to pregnancy resource centers as pregnancy resource centers or crisis pregnancy centers. They have to refer to them as anti-abortion centers because we're misleading the public by saying that they're offering resources, apparently. It is about consistently putting forth a culture of death to anything you want sexually being extremely woke every time you turn around. This is more proof that all they care about is their own agenda. And they're doing this to their own demise. If you look at the ratings, for example, of CNN, if you look at the subscription rates, right, of various newspapers, whether it's online or still hard copy in, in print, continuing to decrease. And yet they do not care because it's about the agenda. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Nothing illustrates the powerful bond between man and wife intended by God, the creator of marriage, than these words from Matthew's gospel. A true marriage is a sacramental bond and is therefore indissoluble. The Catholic Catechism, however, realistically acknowledges that the presence of evil can severely strain this bond. Marital union has always been threatened by discord, a spirit of domination, jealousy, infidelity, and conflicts that can escalate into hatred and separation. The original communion of Adam and Eve was ruptured by their sin of disobedience. Their relations were distorted by mutual recrimination, says the Catechism, and brought about the pain of childbirth and the toil of work. Without God's help, a man and woman cannot achieve the union of their lives for which God created them in the beginning. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Very nice to have you with me. Dr. Ray Garendi, the doctor is in the program. E-Person Monday program variant. I don't say version anymore. Variant is now the more common term. Hi, Dr. Ray. Female. I don't know the exact percentages of female email that, well, I know I said email twice. Fee person, e-person that say, hi, Dr. Ray, but it's got to be about 80%. 
My husband and I are in our early 30s and expecting our first child. Many of our friends already have young children, and most seem to follow, whether intentionally or not, the current trend of gentle or attachment parenting. There's a lot of redirection and acknowledgement of big feelings, and the result appears to be a chaotic household with endless temper tantrums and crying and very little peace or harmony. That's been my experience, by the way. If gentle parenting and attachment parenting works for you, God bless you. Good for you. But in a lot of ways, uh, my experience as a clinician of all these years is that it leads to a lot of frustration for folks. My husband and I hope to create a loving home for our child while still managing to maintain firm discipline and strong authority as parents. Well, you've got to understand you're going to be different now. You're going to be looked at. There's good news and bad news. You're going to be looked at. The bad news is is kind of this uh, autocrat that has rules and enforces them firmly. The good news is people are going to wonder why your kids are better behaved than theirs. Now, the bad news, more bad news, they'll probably say, yeah, well, you're not teaching your kids anything. They're just learning to be uh, Stepford Child obedient. I, I, you know, I keep saying Stepford Child as though people know. It was an old, old movie where the wives were just completely submissive. They were robotic-like in their cooperation. So Stepford Child would be just this robotic-like submissive child who isn't absorbing any lessons in virtue or self-control or maturity, none of this. This is all raw parenthood discipline authority. How would you suggest we get off on the right foot? At what age is it reasonable to start introducing discipline? When a child is old enough to cry and pitch a fit at being told no or not immediately getting what they want, but too young to understand, time out, Dr. Ray, what do you do? A couple of things here, and typically for most parents, and timeout is a very benign consequence, especially for a little kid. It's not anything big, although I've seen plenty of child development people in particular come down on timeout because they just think it's horrible, it's isolation, it's social shunning. In fact, thank you, in fact, it is just bad parenting. Something as benign as sitting on a steps or standing in a corner or laying on your bed or head down at the dining room table or sitting on the couch. Anyway, I think most parents who will do that, eh, say between a year and a half and two years is when they start. Now she says, but the child could be too young to understand timeout. Well, that's probably true. The first time you do it, the first 10 times you do it, they look at you like, what is this? I did that, and I'm over here. How's that follow? You're training. You're saying, if A, I do B. Does a child understand it? No. A dog doesn't understand why he shouldn't pee in your house. But you train him. Well, children are smarter than dogs at a year and a half, well, maybe not Lassie, or maybe not Rin Tin Tin, but you're training them. If you, if you swing at mommy, she sits you over here. How's that follow? Well, because mom is doing something about it, and that's the easiest and probably most benign, if you want to say gentle, consequence you can do. Now, I see a lot of young parents do this. As a matter of fact, I think the majority, especially of of 
educated young parents do this. They believe that you can reason and share feelings and acknowledge feelings and do all the things that are much more gentle. And if you must discipline, please, it's a very last resort. And you don't want to assert your authority or your dominance over a little child. That's just not how the relationship should go. Now, and as I said, inevitably those people fill my office. And they're good people. These are not people that you look at and go, yeah, you know what, they just don't know how to do gentle parenting. They're just obnoxious. No, they're frustrated. They can't figure out why this isn't working. Why is this child becoming more uncooperative and more difficult? Because they're doing too much talking, they're doing too much reasoning, they're not acting early in the chain, they're allowing this to go on way too long before they finally get frustrated enough to act. And that's the irony. When you're embarking upon supposedly psychologically new and correct and improved ways of raising children and they don't work, you get frustrated and you get angry and you don't like what you sound like. Parents with decent authority are a lot nicer. Especially in the context of love. Now, if authority is the only thing without love, yeah, you got a problem. But in a loving home with all kinds of affection and all kinds of interaction in positive ways, if you've got good authority, man, you don't spend anywhere near as much time disciplining. I've always said that. The better your authority, the less discipline. The weaker your authority, the more it feels like you're disciplining constantly. So, to summarize. Uh, yeah, you can start. You can start timeout uh, one and a half, two. I remember I, I put my my first son there at fifteen months. He just said he did something. I forget. He kicked something. I forget what he did. How do I know? It's all just a blur those days. So I I sat him on steps. My wife scolded me. She said, "Ray, what are you doing?" I said, "Well, well honey, I'm, I'm 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 sitting him on the steps." She goes, "I wanted to be the first one to sit him on the steps." <laughs> She wanted that parenting passage, the, the, the right of response in her motherhood. So I said, okay, baby, you do it. You're, you're, I'll, I'll, I'll let him get up, and then you, you put him on the steps so you can be the first one. Uh, he, he's got three little ones now, and he comes to us and says, Dad, did I do that? I go, yeah, Andrew, you did. <laughs> so... They don't really have to understand the reasoning behind your discipline. All they have to know initially is that it is a response to what they did. And then as they mature, as the neurological circuits start to form and they get thicker up there in the brain, called maturation, then they start to understand, oh, you're not supposed to hit mommy because that's not nice. That's not good. They don't know it's not nice or not good the first time you sit them on the steps. All they know is they got sat on the steps. Why? I don't know. I swung. Seemed like the natural thing to do to me. <laughs> so, first time mom in Texas, um, I think your instincts are good. I think if that kind of new and improved and psychologically correct parenting worked, you have a lot less frustrated people. And you know one of the signs of that? is when they say things like, I wanted to have a lot of kids, but I'll tell you, I can't handle the two that I have. And these are preschoolers.
60 on 10 with Monsignor Charles Pope. The Ninth Commandment, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife. We already discussed in the Sixth Commandment the problems of sexual sins themselves, but what the Lord is teaching here is rooted in the word covet. To covet means to inordinately or inappropriately desire something or someone. And in this case, the Lord is saying to us that we are in no way to covet, to look with lust at another person, particularly our neighbor's wife, but others in general, and that therefore all pornography and things like that have to go, all entertaining of lustful thoughts has to go. And God can help us by His grace to do that. And therefore, in this commandment, He summons us to take authority over our thought life and our sexual passions. The Ninth Commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com. While Mary's not mentioned as often as Moses, not mentioned as often as Peter or Paul, her role in Scripture is even more significant. She's absolutely unique. There are many prophets, there are many apostles, but there's only one God-bearer. There are a lot of people who proclaim the Word of God. There's only one woman who bore the Word of God, quite literally, within her. She's utterly unique in that she literally transmits the Word of God to the world. So when the Word of God wanted to take on human flesh, whose human flesh did he choose? It was Mary's. She donated out of her own life substance the flesh of Jesus. The body prepared for Christ is taken from the Blessed Mother. Nobody else in salvation history occupies such a role. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Very nice to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In, co-production of EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and Ave Maria Radio Communications, Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, some 400-plus stations on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, as well as Sirius Satellite Channel 130 and Bazillions, and that I, Bazillion is a number with, I think, 47 zeros, I think, last I looked, Bazillions of um, apps and streamings and all kinds of ways, so you can just get Catholic radio in the whole world. Dr. A, oh, here's hi, Dr. A, so obviously female. If you, This is base rates. If you go by base rates, in other words, how often something happens with a certain population, a base rate of E persons who come to me from females, or uh, fee persons, sorry. Um, hi, Dr. A, as I said, is probably somewhere around 80%. Just a general question and some general help requested all right uh, can i give you some specific help to your general question our oldest girl lives independently has a great job one that she likes and can mostly pay her bills <laughs> okay if it sounds like she's uh, kind of similar to a lot of young people out there who um don't budget well, don't spend their money as responsibly as they could. And mom goes on. But she seems to, and then she capitalizes, always be living in dire straits financially. We don't help her with her bills in any way 
But we do see her struggling. In our opinion, she spends a lot of money on things she doesn't need and ends up broke every pay cycle. I'm not familiar with any statistics on this, but I got to believe they're out there in that the younger people tend to spend an inordinate amount of their money on good times, on trinkets, on stuff that they absolutely have to have. And as such, it leaves them in a situation of really not much savings, uh, not, not a cushion to be able to take care of an unexpected repair. I saw a statistic, I forget where it was, that the average, and I forget the age group, I think it was younger, couldn't handle an unexpected $600 expense. It would be it would push them beyond what they have. She's a very independent young lady, and I think there are some root issues at play here. Now I have no idea what those would be, but my my first thing is that she reflects a lot of our culture. I mean, she's she's drowning in advertisements and social media and goody opportunities that say you got to have this. You got to have it. This is really cool. Don't you want this? This is the latest and greatest. This is the iPhone 26. You got to have one. Ooh, you've only got a 20? Ugh. How do you live? That's that mindset is out there, pervasively out there. Well, you know, I got I got a car, but it's really like it's like it's old. It's like a 2021. Ugh. Well, what's your car payment? $720 a month. Okay. So how many years? Six. See, a ton of people doing that kind of stuff. The bottom is, I want. The bottom line is, and this is mom talking again. I want her. I want to help her help herself. I need a roadmap. She gets our prayers. She tends to have a knee-jerk reaction sometimes when I talk to her about serious stuff. So I want to maximize the chances of getting her to understand that I want to help her. Well, here's, I think, I think your conundrum here, Mom. You do want to help her. Unfortunately, a fair amount of the time, when people don't want to hear something, even if it's helpful, they react negatively. You're telling me I'm not responsible. You're telling me I'm not living well, Mom. You're criticizing me. And even though Mom may be doing no such thing, that's how it's heard. I would probably wait until the next time daughter speaks of her financial frustration. She says something like, yeah, I know the doctor's office just sent me the third notice because I haven't paid them. By the way, that's those are the people who usually don't get paid, is the doctors, because, because they don't come after you. And people put them at the bottom of the list in priority. So, given that, I would wait till she complains. And then I'd say, well, what do you want to do about that? Well, I'm not sure what to do. Okay. Then there's a couple of programs 
that she could get or you could get for her. Uh, Dave Ramsey has a lot of good stuff. He's got some, some nice books out there regarding uh, good, solid Christian financial management. And Phil Lenahan has a program, a Catholic program, called Money Sense. So those are, those are two referrals that I would suggest. Now, again, she's got to look at them and decide if, if indeed she wants to follow them and have a little self-denial. Mom said an interesting line here. I think there are some root issues at play here. Now, if I'm going to guess, I'm going to say that's probably something of a personality nature. Maybe she feels insecure. Maybe she doesn't like her appearance. Maybe she thinks I have to have these things to be valuable. Uh, that, that would be the first place I would chase, not knowing anything. But it could be anything. Root, root issues is, is hard to know. So I guess, Mom, what I would say is that uh, don't give the financial advice as less it's asked for. Um, and look for your opportunity to, to give something. But if it's not followed through on, then you've got to decide how many times you're going to bring it up again. That's very hard for parents to do. Very, very hard because we want to keep going at them and saying, don't you realize how you're making your life difficult by doing this? Don't you realize your frustration and anxiety is coming from these choices? Don't you see what's happening here? And they oftentimes don't want to hear it. And so you have to sit by and say, okay, you're going to see the results of these choices. Dr. Ray. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Fund. 
You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Welcome back to the Doctor is In program. Now, here's your host, that master of mustaches, the punisher of pretzels, and that cyclone of psychology, Dr. Ray Gorindy. Hit it, Jerry! Hammond, Hammond A100. I priced those things just recently. They're expensive. Hello, Dr. Ray. Uh, this is from a woman, but it is also an older woman. When I die, my house will be left to one of my children by way of a TODD. I'd never heard of that, but it's called a transfer on death deed. That deed also designates one of my other children as alternate in case the first beneficiary passes away. Got that? So one person's going to get it in terms of uh, the house. The alternate beneficiary, the second in line, has a serious problem with alcohol. Because of that, I don't trust she will have the mental capability to handle the responsibilities of the house if her alcoholism remains the same as it is now. Well, here's my question here, um, Mama, why did you put her on there to begin with? Maybe maybe you just thought that this was years ago and she might straighten up. Therefore, I'm seriously considering changing her as the alternate to one of my other more responsible children. Nice move. I realize this would most likely cause a big problem between the two current beneficiaries uh, apparently the, the 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 primary and then the alternate since there are already some serious problems the way things are right now I don't see their problems getting any better no matter what I do I want to do the right thing that see that's the key line there is no right thing there is your decision thing you have every right to do this how you wish and if you're saying, well, I want to do the right thing so nobody gets mad. Well, just from what you've described, I don't know how that's possible. So you have to do, maybe the, the best thing to say is, I want to do the responsible thing. Well, if, if you size this up and you say, I have someone who's living her life very, very poorly. And she's the alternative beneficiary and I'm going to change that to somebody more responsible the alternative beneficiary with the alcohol problem is going to be upset, I suspect. But here's the one thing. You're not going to know it because, well, you may know it, but hopefully you'll be in heaven, and so you won't have to deal with it. This brings up a big issue, and, and the big issue is this. You can't judge the wisdom of something you do by how people react to it. You judge it as you weigh the factors and you say, in my best assessment, this is the right good thing to do in these circumstances. 
how will others respond to this? Well, you can't predict that a lot of times. And if you say, I don't, I don't want my siblings at each other when I'm gone. Well, your other option is to just leave it the way it is. But that doesn't guarantee there won't be a problem anyway, because if your other siblings are quite aware of this sibling's alcohol problems, then they're going to be thinking, why in heaven's name did mom leave her as the alternative beneficiary? Why would mom do that? Now, my guess would be mom's thinking, initially when she did this, she was thinking, well, well this will help. This will stabilize her life. This will get a, something under her feet, a house. She'll be able to pull it together. That'd be, that'd be my guess in mom deciding to do this. But then as things unfolded, mom saw this, this is not happening and her alcohol problems are getting worse or at the very least are showing no signs of any kind of improvement. And I'm not so sure my original judgment was the best one and I want to change it. Not my decision. But if you're asking my opinion, which you seem to be, I would think that you have every right to say this is how I judge leaving my assets. I have to make those decisions. I have some children that could handle an inheritance if I leave them some money. I'll leave them 12 bucks. Very well. And then I may have others that would it would it would be destructive for them. So I have to decide exactly how to do this. Because I don't want to just say, well, the fair thing to do is just across the board, everybody gets this, 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 and this. Because some of that would be destructive for some of their lifestyles. So, I have to find some way to, to juggle all that. And so, Mom, your decision, your wisdom, your right and if you say i don't want anybody to be upset i think that's where you're going to run into a problem because it could it could very well be one of the things i see more often that's very sad is that families after the final elderly parent passes on the siblings turn on each other they can i've seen it i've got i know friends who don't talk to their siblings for years and years and years and years because of the jostling back and forth in the inheritance and the feeling of you're being unfair, you're not being right. It's, it's sad. And with, with the matriarch or the patriarch gone, they're left to sort this out themselves. And quite often that leads to a lot of hostility, resentment, and ultimately major schisms in the relationship. So, all done for E-Person Monday. And I thank Andrew Kuchek for all he does over there in Ann Arbor. Good Lord permitting. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I appreciate the company. Walk with God. I think that's your best judgment right there. Now, there's going to be people who are angry at you because of that. But that sure is wisdom. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.